Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. I'm Tom Rowland, and this is the Tom Rowland Podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the podcast today. I've got a great guest for you, Daniel Andrews from Captains for Clean Water. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. Daniel and Chris Whitman started Captains for Clean Water, and they're really leading the charge to save the Everglades, and we're going to get right to that podcast in just a few minutes. I just want to tell you about a couple of things. I want to thank everybody for the feedback that I've gotten so far. We've gotten uh, a lot of emails on podcast at saltwaterexperience.com to tell us either that they like the show, which is awesome. I'm really glad that you have. But also to uh, to give us some suggestions on guests. And some of those were already on the list that I keep, and others are now on the list. So I want to thank you for that. And I want to encourage anybody else who would like to make a suggestion, how to make the show better, maybe a different guest, different format. I don't know. Shoot me an email, podcast at saltwaterexperience.com. I'll get it, I'll read it, and I'll do my best to... Uh, to either get that guest on or do a better job. We also received quite a few new uh, ratings and reviews on iTunes, and I want to thank you very much for that, and especially for the very nice things that were said about the podcast and about me personally. It's flattering, and thank you for that. But the ratings and reviews are not for me. They're actually for other people that might listen to this podcast. They're also for iTunes, which... uh, uses that to put it in the algorithm and and deliver this to more people as a suggested or related show to other popular podcasts. So if you could just take a second, it won't take but a minute, go to iTunes, give this podcast a rating and a review. That will really help. What will also help is if you find a podcast that you like, uh, share it with one of your friends, copy the link, send it to one of your friends or post it on your social media. That will also help greatly. We've also got a brand new website we've been working really hard on, www.saltwaterexperience.com. 
this is the hub for everything that we're doing. And we're doing more this year than we've ever done before. We have a weekly show. We've got the podcast. We have the television show, full-length episodes. You can get to every one of our episodes that we've ever produced from the website for free. And you can be aware of everything that's going on. And if you really want to be aware of what's going on, drop your uh, email into the into the newsletter list, and we will make sure that you're the first one that knows about new content and new stuff that's out there. So that would be awesome if you would do that, and we'd look forward to uh, carrying on the conversation with you. All right. So we just have one more order of business, and it's super easy because it's super awesome, and that is Waypoint TV. Waypoint TV it has a library of over 2,000 episodes and growing very quickly. Uh, more than 60 different producers of short films and full-length television episodes. You can go there and check out 125 episodes of Saltwater Experience, I think, and growing. We're putting the new ones on there right now. We just released one the other day called Dr. Tarpon with Dr. Brian Boxer-Wackler, Olympic gold medalist Stephen Holcomb, and my son, Turner Rowland. This is one of the... Uh, most, uh, or one of the episodes that I'm most proud of. Uh, my son had a eye condition called keratoconus and so did Stephen Holcomb. Stephen wrote a book and I learned about Dr. Boxer Walkler's work through this book. And we went out there and saw him and long story short, my son's sight was saved. He went from seeing 2,600 to see in 2015. It's an amazing story. And I am super grateful and super thankful. And I asked Dr. Brian Boxer Walkler if he would want to come down and bring Stephen Holcomb and I would bring Turner. We could have all three of them in a boat together. And Stephen Holcomb had the same procedure that my son had successfully, got his sight back, and then won a gold medal in the Sochi Olympics. So it was an amazing story. It was a Incredible to have all three of those people on our boat and catch a few tarpon, a few barracuda, and make a really, uh, really good show. So you can go to Waypoint TV. You can see that right away. So many more. So many other producers producing incredible content. And uh, it's all available there for you for free. WaypointTV.com. All right. Here we go. Daniel Andrews. He came down to the Keys and fished with us for tarpon recently. And uh, we did this podcast the night before. And I had a lot of questions for Daniel because, honestly, I don't fully understand the problem in the Everglades. It's a complex problem. But Daniel has a way of really breaking it down and making it a little simpler to understand. And in making it simpler to understand, he also has some pretty simple solutions for the problem. Not a 100% fix but a whole lot better than what's happening. And one thing that I was very, uh, very pleased with, with Daniel, is that he's very positive. He's an optimist. And I think in this line of work of trying to save the Everglades and trying to, uh, to make a, maybe what could be considered the most important environmental stand in our lifetime, I think you got to be an optimist. I think it's real easy to get down about the things that we've lost and it may never come back. But I think if you're an optimist, I think you look around, you realize how good it is right now. And you, it gives you even more fuel to fight the fight to, uh, to protect the Everglades. And I, I felt like that's what Daniel had and, uh, made me, made me really perk up and listen to him because he's, he's optimistic and he has a plan and he and Captain Chris Whitman, are leading Captains for Clean Water, and they're leading this charge and spending a lot of their time in Washington, D.C., and in in senators' offices and congressmen's offices, and whoever will listen, whoever is a decision maker that they need to talk to, they're not afraid. So I think Captains for Clean Water is an outstanding organization led by some outstanding individuals, and uh, really, I think you're going to enjoy this podcast. So if you have questions about the Everglades, hang on. You're going to get a lot of answers. Captain Daniel Andrews coming up right now. I'm sitting here with Daniel Andrews from Captains of Clean Water. And 
we are going to go fishing tomorrow up in the Everglades uh, on a saltwater experience shoot. We're sitting here at Hawks Cay Resort, kind of where the Everglades all dump out into the Atlantic Ocean. There's tremendous tide flow under Long Key Bridge, which is just just up there. And so whether you're in the Florida Keys or whether you are in Flamingo or Naples or Chukaluski or any of those areas, the Everglades is equally as important to all of us, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, when we first started Captains for Clean Water, one of the biggest things that we were trying to get across to the public was that these estuaries are all connected. For so long, there had been division and just misunderstanding that the problems in the Caloosahatchee River, the St. Lucie River, and Florida Bay, those are all the same. And they were, they were, the government and policymakers were treating them like they were all different problems. They all needed different solutions. But up in Sanibel, then over on the East Coast and, and Hope Sound, you're, you're talking 90, 100 miles down to Florida Bay. Yeah. So you don't always think that they're connected, but historically, you know, through the Everglades, they are. The estuaries there, the northern part, they have their own problems. And then the southern end of the system, they, they ha- Florida Bay has its own problem as well. Right. So let's back up a little bit. And I want to know kind of your story and how you end up uh, heading up this group called Captains for Clean Water. Where'd you grow up and, and why do you have such uh, passion for this? So I grew up in Fort Myers. I was born and raised there. Um, I, I started fishing at a young age. My dad, my uncle got me out in the water and loved snook fishing around Sanibel and the mouth of the Caloosahatchee River. Um, I, I went to high school in Fort Myers, went to college at Florida Gulf Coast in Fort Myers for a couple of years, decided I wanted to be a fishing guide instead, yeah. of, instead, of, instead of doing that. So I, I got my captain's license and bailed out of school a couple of years early. And I never really looked back. We had water quality issues from the get-go. Um, right when I started guiding, 2011, 2012, we had had really bad discharges in 2013. I, I kind of ignored it. Uh, I, I realized it was a problem, thought it was bigger than anything I'd ever be able to deal with. And I, it was it was just kind of a thorn in my side. So when you're saying you had big discharges, um, you know, so many people with the Everglades, I mean, even us in the Florida Keys, we're not familiar with that. What are you seeing when you're seeing big discharges? So that that goes back to changes that were made in the the hydrology of the state over the last hundred years, and the Caloosahatchee River, which now runs from Lake Okeechobee to Sanibel Island, there was no historic connection there. That's man-made. There was a canal that was dredged from the the headwaters of the Caloosahatchee into Lake Okeechobee. So when Okeechobee's water rises high enough, it starts to kill off marsh vegetation. It, it threatens the, the Herbert Hoover Dyke. So they open the floodgates to the Caloosahatchee and the St. Lucie Rivers. Billions of billions and billions of gallons a day are discharged into the rivers, and it, it causes an extreme drop in salinity. It, it's, it puts a lot of nutrients into the water, and it has an incredibly negative impact on the fishery. It's, you know, short-term, you know, right when it's happening, you get nasty brown muddy water it smells terrible discourages tourists from want, wanting to even get in the water to swim at the beach but for me it's the long-term effects that that are the most most troubling but what you saw the first time that this really was a became a, a an issue for you was just this stinky water and and it, it affected your fishing is that is that what was happening the first time you saw this so I've I grew up seeing it unfortunately but the first time it affected me as a fishing guide you know the first time it, it hit my pocketbook it was really it was challenging to deal with but once the water cleared up looking at you know some of my favorite grass flats were devastated there's no more grass on them the, the you couldn't fish them anymore so that that's what bothered me the most and then in in 2016 we got discharges right in the peak of tourist season january and february we'd never never seen anything like that in my lifetime at least so that was i'd say a, a major tipping point that spurred us to start captains for clean water that was february 2016 it was the first time that I'd seen so many anglers, resort owners, uh, restaurant owners, everybody wanted to be part of a solution. And, you know, it it was hitting us right in the middle of tourist season. We usually get these discharges in July, August when nobody's here. But 
this was right when people were starting to get here. So it was it was a, a cause for concern and it was really so a time to unify. The, the reason that those discharges happened that time of the year was because of what, rainfall yep. or poor decisions or what? It was rainfall. We just, we had a, a very wet winter. Okay. Um, historically, that would have really hydrated the Everglades, but the Everglades are not what they looked like 100 years ago. They're They're half the size that they were, half the area. There's a lot of barriers to flow obstruct that water from flowing so down those, to Florida Bay. Those barriers for flow, what what are those and why are they there? There's a lot of them. Going south from Lake Okeechobee, you have you know, hundreds of thousands of acres of sugarcane fields that, that were historically the headwaters of the Everglades. Past that, you have canals, levees, roads that are all problems that, that you can get by. You can build bridges on those roads. You can backfill canals. You can take those levees out. But currently, they're stopping that flow from going south. And so, like when I look at this, and I'm trying to get my head wrapped around it, and and here we are in the in the Florida Keys, and you know we fish the Everglades all the time. But that doesn't necessarily mean that we all have a good grasp of what's going on because what's affecting you up there with those discharges and stuff, it eventually affects us, but we don't see it immediately like you are, right? And so I'm trying to get my head wrapped around just exactly what this giant picture of the Everglades health is. And I think that if I, I know a little bit about the Everglades and if I'm having a hard time kind of getting my, my head around exactly what's going on and who's affected and why, and, and more importantly, what anyone can do about it. Right. So can you, can you kind of paint that picture a little bit? Because in my opinion, like I hear that some places are too salty some places are too fresh. Some places have way too much discharge and too much water. And some places have none at all that used to have tremendous flows, right? I mean, like the Everglades is nature's greatest filter, yeah. right? It's a, it was a 150 miles long, a, a laminar flow, and, and all that water is just getting filtered out and coming right down here to the Florida Keys. And and uh, so so paint the picture for us of, of just how big this problem is and and who all it's affecting. Sure. The Everglades is a huge ecosystem. It starts north of Lake Okeechobee and goes all the way down here to the Florida Keys and covers both coasts of Florida. Mm -hmm. Historically, when water used to fall, you know, when, when rainfall would hit in the center of the state, it would go down the Kissimmee Chain of Lakes into Lake Okeechobee, and then it would flow down through the Everglades um, all the way down here to the Florida Keys. And now we have essentially two problems. We have a plumbing problem, and we have a water quality problem. The plumbing problem is that there are barriers to flow, physical obstructions, roads, dikes, ditches that prevent that water from coming out of Lake Okeechobee and, and returning in its historic path. The water quality problem we have is, to a large degree, it's an accumulation of, of nutrient pollution over the last 100 years that's ended up in Lake Okeechobee, Kissimmee River. The simple solution to this, the easiest way to explain it is... You have to treat the water quality problem and remove the barriers to flow. So, so you can tackle them pretty much both at the same time. And that was outlined in the Comprehensive Everglades Restoration Plan, which passed in the year 2000. So I was in fourth grade then. <laughs> and it was a, a series of 68 projects that was supposed to occur over a 30-year time frame. And we're 18 years into it, and they haven't even completed one of the projects. Wow. Now, there's there's one project that they're close to completing now, uh, the Picayune Strand, but it really doesn't have any benefits to the estuary. Mm -hmm. It has some ecological benefits to that part of the, the Everglades, but it's not going to stop the discharges or get more water down here to Florida Bay. So going back to the discharges, you know, when, when we have a lot of rainfall, there's nowhere to store that water. So it, it's just discharged to tide. It's It's essentially wasted. It's it's shot down the Caloosahatchee and the St. Lucie Rivers. When there's not enough rain, you know, historically the Everglades was like a sponge. Even during periods of drought, the, the glades would remain hydrated and that water would still flow slowly into Florida Bay. We don't have that anymore. When we don't get rain for a short, even a short period of time, Everglades dries out and there is no flow into Florida Bay. And Florida Bay is a, it's a really unique area. There's it's kind of like a big ice cube tray. It, there's, it's real bunch of compartments, a lot of sandbars, 
very shallow water, not many deep troughs that go in, you know, especially up in the snake, snake bite, Rankin bite, Garfield bite. It's, it's all shallow, yeah. very shallow grass flats. So when there's not fresh water flowing in there to, to, to push that water out, um, you, you know how little tidal flow is up in there. You get what's called hypersalinity. So the, the evaporation occurs faster than any tidal exchange or, or freshwater inputs. So the water just gets saltier and saltier. It's just evaporating. I'd be like if you put filled a cup with salt water and just left it, you know, yeah. eventually it's going to dry out. So in 2015, which is right before we started Captains for Clean Water, there was a massive seagrass die-off in Florida Bay, mm-hmm. over 40,000 acres. And that was brought to our attention uh, really, you know, th- this is three months before we had these discharges. It really showed how in just, you know, a, a couple months, the system can go from drought to an abundance of water. And it, it didn't used to be like that. You know, that that water used to be able to, to soak into the ground, um, you know, to, to stay in the river grass, the Everglades, and, and slowly flow out into Florida Bay. So simply put, we need more storage reservoirs, which are deep water ponds, essentially that can hold water for drought. We need more stormwater treatment areas, which are filter marshes. Um, they're, they're very shallow. They, they remove a lot of the phosphorus and some of the nitrogen from the water. And then we also need to take out those barriers to flow. There's currently some bridges being built on Tamiami Trail. The Central Everglades Plan, which was just authorized last year, or excuse me, in 2016, that will take out a lot of the dams and dikes and ditches so that that water can flow more freely through the Central Everglades, which is from just south of the sugarcane fields to about US-41. That's interesting. And so, Captains for Clean Water... Have you guys formulated a plan, like a written plan of of what you would like to see happen? So what we do at Captains for Clean Water is we try to try to analyze all the projects that are on the table and and bring solutions to the lawmakers. You know, which we are we know there's a there's a roadmap already to fix this, the Comprehensive Everglades Restoration Plan. It's not going to fix the problem entirely, but it points us in the right direction. We've gone in and looked at which ones of those projects will provide the most benefit, not to, you know, ecological stuff throughout the Everglades, but to the actual estuaries. Which ones are going to stop the discharges the most and get the most water down to Florida Bay? And in 2016, we actually met down here in the Keys with about eight different organizations that all had the same goal. We wanted to see, it's a project, an Everglades project that's really the heart of Everglades restoration, the EAA reservoir. That's... That's a, a project that's going to be built south of Lake Okeechobee that can store, treat, and move water south. That project, if properly designed, could give us a roughly a 50% reduction of discharges and provide a lot more water for Florida Bay. So that's what we put our sights on. That's what we wanted to see built first. And that's really where we focused all of our efforts. And so how is that going now? Well, it's it's been an interesting experience for, for all of us involved. Uh, we didn't know what we were getting into when we first started. We just knew we wanted to try to move the needle a little bit. So the Everglades Restoration Plan is a cost share between the state and the federal government. So not only do we have to get support in Tallahassee, legislation passed there, we also have to do the same in Washington, D.C. We first started working with the state to try to get them to, to do something. And we worked with Senate President Joe Negron. He's out of Stewart. So this was all happening in his backyard. You know, Fourth of July, there was toxic algae blooms all over his district. So he was motivated to do something. And, and he put a proposal forward to the Florida, Florida legislature. And it was his number one priority last session, 2017, to get this passed, to get get some land, to build a reservoir, build the, the marshes on, and get this project sent off to DC, authorized, funded, and most importantly, bulldozers on the ground. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was quite an experience. You know, I, I hadn't had any government involvement before. <laughs> you know, I was used to trolling motors and yeah, push poles. Yeah, you're a fishing guide. Like, yeah. But you are, you are probably used to talking to powerful people. I mean, that is one thing about a fishing guide is you do develop good communication skills. Yeah. And that, that was, uh, that was really crucial because we're, New to Tallahassee, and we're bringing up hundreds of fishing guides, recreational anglers, CEOs of fishing companies, 
to work with the Florida legislature to try to get this project passed, get this bill passed, and get it built as best as best we possibly could. So it was an ambitious goal that the Senate, Senate president put forward. He wanted to buy 60,000 acres of sugarcane land. The sugarcane farmers didn't like that a whole lot. You know, there's, there's two companies, and they're one of the largest political contributors in the state. Right. So they have a lot of influence up there. And what we saw was this bill went from 60,000 acres of land, was cut in half, and then it was cut down to just using about 17,000, 18,000 acres of state land. Um, they, that was be, being leased to the sugarcane companies. Uh, you know, we bought the land for restoration when I was a toddler and it's just been leased back to them and they, they've, you know, continually produced sugarcane on the land. That lease was broken. Again, this is all just, you know, political power. We're a handful of fishing guides and, you know, a lot of supporters back home. We didn't have the 70 plus lobbyists right sugarcane companies had we you know none of us are even registered lobbyists we're just going up there to to talk so what we ended up with was 800 million dollars of funding from the state government and and when i say we it was a collective effort it wasn't just captains for clean water we were working with over 60 different organizations that all had the same goal Um, but we brought something unique to the table most of the environmental groups are you know traditional environmental groups. They're not anglers. They're not hunters. Uh, they're not resource users like we are. So it was, it was a, a really good voice to have up there in the legislature that they, they like to hear numbers and quality of life. They, they don't really care about birds or. Right. So when you say numbers and quality of life, are you putting a financial, a financial number on, on what you're talking about that really gets these people's ear? Like, like the, the impact of the fishing and, and, the fishing industry in the state of Florida and really South Florida. Yeah. And, and fishing in the state of Florida is a $9.3 billion industry. And the Everglades, there's about 8 million people that live in the greater Everglades. So by the time you, you know, you look at the, the tourism numbers, which are, that's our number one industry, you know, a, a almost $10 billion fishing industry. And just a, just down here in the Southern Everglades, the Keys and Florida Bay, that's, 15% of it. Right. That's about a billion and a half dollars of economic impact just from fishing the Keys, Florida Bay. And those are numbers that resonate with policymakers. That's real business to them. So they can justify spending, you know, a couple hundred million dollars over the course of a decade to get this project completed when they see the potential benefits and, right. and all that. And so, so is, is that, I mean, are we on our way to that? Are you feeling confident that that we're on our way to to seeing this, you know, be completed? We, we're we're off to a, a good start. Talking to people that have been involved with this fight for the last twenty years, this is the most progress they've seen ever. But the fact of the matter is, we have a lot of work to do. Yeah. Still. Yeah. You know that this this reservoir project, if it would have been bigger, it would have been better. So that means we have to work on, you know, accelerating other projects and, and getting more out of other projects and, you know, hopefully being able to expand upon the, the project that we're working on um, to make it larger, get the more STAs. That way we can get more more flow going south. But we're off to a really good start. A lot of work to do. Yeah. So I find it really interesting that um, that you – our fishing guide. One day, you're 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 using a push pole and and guiding someone, and you find a, a an issue that's close to your heart, so close to your heart that you basically have changed your entire life to focus on this, right? So, how is what has that transition been like for you? It's been interesting. It certainly wasn't planned. You know, right when we first got started. Nobody was fishing. Right. The discharges were so bad you couldn't couldn't even put bait in your live. There was no nowhere to fish. It, it was all freshwater in, in our whole estuary. So, you know, I had a had a couple weeks head start there. I, I just I didn't even want to take the client's money. So that that gave us an opportunity to to get people together. From that, you know, we started getting getting support from some of the larger fishing companies, mm-hmm. you know, a, a year into it. And everybody wanted to put their name on it. They wanted to be more involved. And that that provided an opportunity for us to 
you know, increase the size of our organization, bring on a few more people. Now, if for the last six months or so, it's, it's pretty much been full-time, six, seven days a week, traveling a lot, a lot of miles on the truck. Man, it seems like you're traveling a lot. I mean, just trying to get this together, I mean, just making a few phone calls to you and texts and here and there, you are going all over the place. You're in D.C. one one day, down here the next. You're, you're, you're in Miami. I mean, this, first of all, who, who, who is Captains for Clean Water? You and who else? So we have a board of directors, um, five individuals on the board. They've been with us mostly since the start. And then we have a, a staff of currently four people. Our, our board, we have a couple of attorneys, PJ Shiner and Leland Garvin, a, a, a good friend of mine, Chauncey Goss, that has a lot of DC experience. He, he worked uh, budgeting up there. Bob Bevel, he's, he's got a lot of media experience. He's, he's with a, a large broadcasting company in Southwest Florida. And then Reed McKinstry is our board president. He's with Mustad Hooks. Okay. So we have the board that, that gives us, kind of points us in the right direction make sure that we're, we're on the right track. And then, then our staff that's carrying out the day-to-day stuff. Uh, it's myself and Chris Whitman, uh, Captain Chris Whitman, that, that founded the organization. We brought administrative assistant on um, Kayla McGuire. She's a, a been a longtime friend of mine. Uh, her, her husband is one of my best friends. So we brought Kayla on to kind of handle all the office stuff that we weren't used to doing. <laughs> um, so, so she's a huge help. And we also have a, a full-time volunteer that puts about 40 hours a week in. He's, re- uh, Bob Brooks. He's a retired sporting, sporting goods rep. So he, he, uh, he built a beautiful house in Sanibel and was really frustrated with this problem, wanted to get involved. And, and he's, he's provided a lot of insight I and mean, he's got 40 years of business experience. So, yeah. I mean, and, and you kind of, you have to have had a lot of guidance because you guys have made incredible strides and you're finding yourself in Washington DC talking to I don't know who policymakers representative senators policy uh, so what kind of who who helped you to understand that or did you just say this this is so important to me that I'm just going to show up on this guy's doorstep and sit there and wait until until he talks to me yeah that that was pretty much it use the media a lot at first we we use local news stations and you know when when you're a angry constituent and in somebody's district and they see you on the news a couple nights a week, they're going to call you Yeah, because they, they, they want you to be quiet. Right. You know, they, they don't want people complaining about, uh, about problems that, that they have the ability to fix. So our, our strategy was to kind of, we, we didn't want to point fingers. We just wanted to acknowledge that there was a problem and acknowledge that there was a solution and it, it, it worked pretty well. You know, we had, had a lot of representatives, state reps and state senators that reached out that, you know, wanted to support Senator Negron's legislation. They kind of held our hand through it and made sure we were doing the right things. You had a lot of, lot of help from, you know, elected officials, people that were, um, have been in government for a while. And, you know, we have so many volunteers that, that help out with strategy stuff, with just showing up to Tallahassee. There were days in Tallahassee where we had hundreds of fishing guides, a lot of them here from the Florida Keys that showed up. So the work that we've done, it's it's not, Chris and I have just kind of been a, a conduit for it, but the turnout that we've, we've been able to have that, that's what really makes the difference. It's, it's pretty easy to ignore me, but it's kind of hard to ignore 200 fishing guides that are standing outside the state Capitol, not protesting, not screaming, but just out there. Well, do you think that sometimes maybe that these Policymakers are surprised at the at the logical arguments that these you know fishing guides. I don't know what they expect when a bunch of fishing guides come in, but fishing guides I know are really smart people, and they know a lot about the ecology. They know a lot about the environment. They know a lot about. I mean, they make their living here, and a lot of them have college degrees, and a lot of them are are eloquent speakers because that's what they do in the boat for ten or twelve hours is entertain people often that are CEOs of a giant company and these people have great communication skills. Do you think that you've gotten an audience with some of these people because of the quality of people that you're bringing up there? Absolutely. People underestimate fishing guides. They think, oh fishing guide, you know, this is somebody that's got a canoe and he's, you know, picking a banjo and goes out there with right. you know a dozen crickets and gets fifty dollars a day, you know, in his overalls. Yeah. They're not thinking you know the average fishing guide's got eighty to one hundred and fifty thousand dollars in their boat and tackle and 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 equipment. They're 
fishing charter operations aren't big companies. You know, the, if you're the guide, you're also the marketing <laughs> officer, the finance yeah. officer, you're, you're everything. You so, got that right. And the boat scrubber and the yeah. fish cleaner and everything else too. Yeah. So, you know, I think guides in general are, are very resourceful people. And when there's a problem, we tend to figure out how to come up with solutions. And as far as communication, I mean, we, we've dealt with everybody from a boat mechanic all the way up to, you know, the CEO of a Fortune 500 company. So we're able to use, utilize these guides to, to go in and, you know, use their skill set the best they can, whether they're dealing with a policymaker or their sponsor companies trying to get them involved with this issue. So it's, it's really a good network, really good organization. That's great. Um, what do you think has been the biggest challenge? Um, it's a David and Goliath battle. That's, I'd say that's, that's the biggest challenge. You know, the, the, there's special interest groups that, that, you know, can spend $20 million in a year to essentially undermine the work that we're trying to do political contributions, which we're a 501c3. We can't do that. Mm -hmm. That's challenging. The time on the road is also pretty stressful. You know, when you're putting your schedule together, looks easy. You have to be all these different places, but when you're, you know, when you're trying to drive all the way around the state and you know, I'm down here in the keys now, um, actually it's one of the, the benefits. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm down here about once a week now and just, just trying to, to manage all of our resources is a lot, it's a lot different skill set than you'd use as a fishing guide. Yeah. But so. you're managing to, to do that. And, and I guess at some point you, you feel kind of like, man, I got to step up into this position because who else is going to, or it, at first it was like that, but now I, uh, I really enjoy doing this. It's, uh, there's a lot of fishing guides and there's not a lot of people looking out for the resources. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of filling a niche that wasn't, wasn't really filled before. So, yeah, but it, it, it requires leadership. And that's, that's one thing that I want to applaud you guys for is, is it's one thing to, to, for everybody to sit around and say, man, we need to do something, but it's another thing to have, you know, a group or an organization of, of people that are your peers to lead the way and, and, and say, look, this is, this is what's important right now. And then to formulate that plan. And that's what kind of seems like, seems like you guys have been able to do so the next question is, how do people help? Like not just fishing guides, not just people in the Florida Keys, but how do you get this message? And obviously talking on podcasts like this and other things, how do you get this message to middle America? And how do you get it to, to a larger group of people that has a potential to help? But how do you get them to understand something when they've never seen the Everglades and understand the importance and understand how that could affect them in middle America? Yeah, so that's a great question. Um, and Chris Whitman, who's our program director and co-founder of Captains, he had some TV experience, video production experience. That was right off the get-go. We realized that you can tell a story very well, especially this story with video. Mm-hmm. And we we spent a lot of our resources initially into creating videos, uh, everything from 30-second spots, which... PJ Shiner, one of our board members, founding board members, donated that um, you know we had had a ton of airtime in Southwest mm-hmm. Florida, so we had that. We realized that was a, a very good tool. We have a lot of videos on our website now that that you know can explain the problem in five minutes. Yeah. So that's number one. You know, educate yourself on the issue. Watch those videos. Go on and 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 read what about is, the problem. what is the website? CaptainsForCleanWater.org. Okay. So if, if you go to captainsforcleanwater.org, you'll be able to watch videos, um, read some bullet points about the problem, and hopefully educate yourself enough. Sign up for our newsletter. We we don't we don't do a monthly thing. We just we send out a call to action when there's a problem and we need your help. Mm-hmm. So we're we're not the you know every single day email <laughs> crowd. When there's a problem, we're going to be emailing and calling you then. So. If you're if you understand the problem and you're on our, our email list ready to for the next call to action that we have, that's that's a huge step. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we, we we've always said that if if everybody knew about this problem, knew about the solution, it would have been fixed 20 years ago. It's it's such a common sense solution to you know put the Everglades back to the, as best you can to w- the way it was. You'll 
significantly reduce the discharges. You'll get more water in Florida Bay. So that's that's number one. Number two is help us spread our 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 brand. The Captains for Clean Water hats. Every day I'm scrolling through Facebook and Instagram. I see a ton of people wearing them. That's something that we see it, but so do a lot of other people. You know, mm-hmm. the, the policymakers, senators, and and representatives, they're on there too, and they they see that. They know what we stand for. You know, when I when I walk into a policymaker's office, you know, a state senator or, or whoever, they know what I'm in there for. They know what I want. And the more people that they know are involved with the organization, the more attention that they have to pay to us. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the, the hats are huge, um, you know, sharing our brand. And we also, you know, our organization, you know, we, we run entirely off donations. If you're in a position to where you can help financially, we, we very much appreciate that. And so there's a lot of ways other, I mean, there are a lot of ways that people can help financially. Like you just had this gala, uh, recently. What is that? What is that about? So we, we started the restore gala in 2017. Our, our goal was to, to get some of the key influencers in Southwest Florida community together we were trying to have a dinner for about 200 people where we could talk about the problem and ask for some help. And we had incredible response. We had, uh, we sold out the venue, had over 300 people there packed in this little tiny pavilion that was, we were way over capacity for, but we, we raised over a quarter million dollars that night. That is awesome. Then then we, we did a repeat this year, 2018. We sold out in about three weeks. We had, had 400 people there. Again, we, we raised a, a well over a quarter million dollars. So that, that was, uh, you know, that, that's a significant part of our, our budget for the organization. Yeah. So it was great to see that all come together again. That's great. And do you have other other events that people could be part of or other plans for them? Yeah, we, we have a lot of small events around the state. We uh, get involved with a lot of existing events and we also you know, from time to time, do events at breweries and stuff like that. You know, we had a, had an event at Fort Myers Brewing Company in, in, in our hometown there. And we had five or 600 people showed up to that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and those are, those are great. Cause you know, a lot of people come out, give them a flyer. They learn a lot more about the organization. It kind of rejuvenates them, and, you know, gets them, gets them pumped about helping out. And, it also it sends a message to the community when they see there's you know, mm-hmm. 500 people that you know took the day to come out there and right. learn a little bit about the problem, have a beer. It's that's something something that can't be ignored by policymakers. Yeah, yeah. So as you're looking at this at this um, issue and you're dealing with it every single day, how are you able to to stay so positive? That's a good question. Um, a lot of it comes from our supporters. Um, there's some, we have some really frustrating days in the office. Um, I mean, just normal office stuff, you know, it, it gets frustrating, but when you couple that with the, the battle that we're in, you know, again, it's David and Goliath problem. It, it can be really frustrating, but you, you have to kind of step back and realize, you know, we're not, we're not trying to do something small here. We're trying to do something huge. And you know, it's the, the calls and the texts from people that we get that we've touched who knows where, you know, all across the country, some outside the country, mm-hmm. I'd say that's probably the, that's probably the biggest motivating factor. What about the progress? I mean, are you seeing like when you're in, in the daily, you're mired in this thing, right? Are you able to see that, you know, where you came from and, and where you are today? And do, do you, do you see the needle move tomorrow? I mean, I would imagine that there's times when you just feel like you're just not making any progress. It's, it's a lot more fast paced than you'd think. Yeah. I mean, every day we have more people reaching out to us with, with different opportunities. And I mean, it's to the point now where, you know, all of our schedules are completely full and, and we're, we're, we have more people that want to get involved, have more events and, and we just, we don't have the capacity to do it. So it's, you don't have the capacity because of, space or time or People. money or what all all of the above yeah. but you know yeah the, the organization is just growing so fast and we have so many opportunities where now we're kind of have to sit back and say okay this is worth doing this is not although progress in the big picture can be kind of a slow pace 
the 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 building of the organization and the outpouring of support is very rapid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so that I think that keeps all of our heads up. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. How about the other organizations that um, that are fighting a fight in this in this issue? Like, do you get along well with some of these? Are there some that are, that have other interests that that you don't particularly uh, care for? No, we, we, we all get along very well. We definitely are not a traditional environmental group. How would you classify a traditional environmental group? They're organizations that have been around for a fair amount of time. They, they all essentially operate the same way, very structured. We were an organization that was thrown together out of necessity. Mm-hmm. So just kind of a little bit different structure. Like more guerrilla style. Yes. And faster moving and, yes. and get things done, I would imagine. Is is that what you're allu- yeah. alluding to a yeah, little bit? And, you know, we all have job titles at Captains for Clean Water, but at the end of the day, we're mostly all doing the same work. Yeah. The work's coming at us so fast and we're, we're trying to, you know, get our hands over all of it. We're, we're really, you know, more of a team that, that just kind of tackles everything. Mm-hmm. But the environmental groups, most of them are not made up of anglers and, and hunters. Now, a, a couple of our partners, Bonefish and Tarpon Trust and TRCP, they're sportsman-based. They were established for different reasons. They've, they've taken on this fight. Um, and, and before we got involved with it, they took on this fight. But when our organization started, it was, it was a sole purpose, fix the Everglades. It's kind of where we're at now is, is figuring out how we can finish that, you know, how we can keep moving the needle with the Everglades. At the same time, I mean, I've got some weeks, I'll get 50 or 60 calls from, from anglers and guides across the state and outside of the state with severe water quality problems. Right now, up in Indian River Lagoon, it's it's a mess. They've had fish kills. Uh, just last week, there was, I was getting pictures on my phone of uh, big bull redfish that were, that were dying due to an algae bloom up there. Totally different problem, but it's the same same cause, same reason. The way, yeah, government in action. You know, there, there hasn't been enough. Ste- you know, they've they've laid out the plan. They've done studies. They've done more studies. Done more studies, and now that's what they want to do again is more studies. Is it obvious that it's a discharge issue? And and I mean, when you're saying there in the Indian River Lagoon, what's going on up there right now? They're having they're having massive algae blooms, and what's causing that? Like so it's, over nutrients in the yeah, water. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's a, they don't have the, the freshwater flow problem that we have across the, the Everglades, but they do have a, a significant nutrient problem. They're going to have to find some pretty creative ways to fix it because the, the sewage infrastructure, all that, it's, it's very expensive, very time consuming. It's not something that's going to, you know, be fixed in the next five or 10 years. It's, it's longer term than that. And, that lagoon can't wait that long. So. Right. So, so when you see a pressing issue like that, obviously everyone needs to, to be aware of that and do something about that. But at some point, if you have that problem over here and, and this problem on the other side of the, of the coast and this problem down in the Keys and, and Rankin Bite is having a problem and all of these different places are having a problem, it's almost like divide and conquer as far as, as the group that you've put together of anglers and sportsmen and everything like that, because each, each now there's so many different issues that are all kind of associated with the same major issue, but they all are requiring these, these urgent actions. How does that, how does that affect the overall mission? We're at a kind of a, a, a growing pain with that right now. You know, we're, it, it breaks my heart to you know get all these phone calls from all these guys that are begging for help. You know they're they're losing their businesses in in certain parts of the Indian River Lagoon. You know Apalachicola's got got its own issues, and it's tough because we're we're so busy with what we're doing here now. We don't you know at this point have all the resources we need to take on another issue. But that's something that's very much on our radar, and we're we're working you know, diligently now to figure out how we can, you know, keep making progress with the Everglades and also get involved and and hopefully move the needle on some of these other issues. Yeah. I would think that has to be one of the biggest challenges is, 
is to see these urgent issues and just to, it, I mean, at some point you have to say, that's not what we're doing right now. Like we have to focus on this and you, you almost get accused of turning your back on somebody or, or a certain region or area. But when you do, then you take your, your, your eye off the ball of, of what's happening and what you've worked so hard for. And guys, just like you say, man, breaking your heart. I mean, to see fish kills and to see people losing their business and, and, and real estate dropping because of water quality issues, nobody wants to see that. Yeah. And, you know, I think that from the average person's perspective, it, it's, they don't understand all the, all the hours that go into to getting a lot of that fixed. Mm-hmm. We don't post stuff on Facebook when we're in the office at seven o'clock in the evening on on a Saturday. Right. You know, there's there's a lot of administrative work. There's a lot of stuff that's done behind the scenes just to get to where we can have a, a big event and you know hopefully move the needle, or you know a lobby day where we're meeting with all. You know, it's just it's a lot of work. So. I think a lot of these people that are calling and, and reaching out to us, their kind of hope is that we can just, you know, go set our flag there and it's going to be fixed. Because, you know, we have made progress with Everglades. You know, we've made made a lot of, you know, policy progress. So, you know, people people think it's easy, but, you know, the, the reality is we're, we're going to be very strategic with our next moves. We're watching now, keeping our eye on everything and trying to figure out uh, just like how with the Everglades, we tried to figure out which project we should push for first. Right. You know, which is going to give us the most bang for our buck. Kind of looking at at the rest of the the state with the same approach. You know, well, which I mean, one can we be most effective? Yeah, use? and you're trying to be effective. You're not trying to spread yourself too thin. And you you just said you're a very small organization. You're doing you're making huge waves with a with a few people, but it's. I mean, there's only so much time, there's only so much energy, but man, nobody likes to see that. But I, I don't think, I, I really, maybe I know just, just enough to realize that this is not a simple, there's nothing simple about this, this problem. It's a very complex problem that has moving parts and moving parts that are, that are highly financial uh, associated with it. Like, you know, the sugar guys aren't just going to roll over because they... They have an entire industry that they're supporting with what they've what they've done, and the politicians they're getting pressure to 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 release the water, and they're getting re- they're getting pressure to to also build these these tanks, and and it's which I guess the squeaky wheel or the or the bigger donor or or some something, but I would think that that's something that you've you've come to realize a, a little bit different about how the world works, like as you just read the newspaper and watch television and stuff like that, eh, you may not have the same, the same understanding of how Washington works and how, how, how has that changed for you? Oh, I, I can tell you that I, I look at every press release and, and media spot and everything <laughs> like that totally differently. Cause I, you know, now I'm the person that's making a lot of those. Right. So everything, all wording is done for a reason you know, you see a lot of stuff with, with this Everglades issue where you know, either politicians or organizations will put out a statement that is just really there to appease people. It it, it reads good, but yeah. there's there's no meat there's and potatoes to it. To it. Yeah. You know, it's it's just it's just kind of fluff. So, you know, not not even just limited to this issue, but now when I you know, when I read statements or anything like that, I kinda dissect it a little bit more. Yeah. There's usually a lot more to it than uh <laughs> Or would, nothing to it at all. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like this is just a piece of paper with some words on it that somebody's going to read, and and some people are going to think, huh, well, okay, I guess they're doing something about it. Yeah. But when in fact, that that statement said nothing. So, as a fishing guide, that you were fishing how many days a year? Uh, about two hundred and eighty. Two hundred eighty days a year. So, full on working daily every single day. How much are you fishing these days? Not anywhere as much as I was. Um, we're we're kind of right in the busy season now in the springtime. Um, you know, if I can get out a couple times a month, that's that's good for me. But hopefully, uh, hopefully, I'll have a lot more time. Wow, that is summer. a massive change. Oh yeah, I mean that is really a massive change. Plus, you told me you got married, so 
man, your life has has really taken a turn. Getting married that that's taken a turn for the better. Yeah. But all of a sudden, going from fishing 280 days a year to fishing a couple times a month, that are you handling that mentally? <laughs> mentally yeah, okay? It, it's it definitely makes you appreciate it a lot more. Yeah. You know, when, when I uh, when I was fishing charter fishing full time in the spring, I wouldn't have a day off from end of February through June. Right. So by by June, I was usually pretty cranky. <laughs> you don't really appreciate each jump that tarpon gives you, but now when I spend time on the water, even if I don't catch a fish, I mean, just, just seeing everything, you know, watching, watching nature wake up in the morning, you know, it goes from silence in the morning, you see the birds, fish, all that. It just, it means a lot more. Yeah. It's been a lot of changes, but I, I'd say it's, it's pretty much all been for the better. Yeah. Do you see an optimistic, if you were to look at your lifetime, your projected lifetime, are you optimistic about the health of the Everglades in, in your lifetime? Yes. And, okay. And yeah. what would you think, if you could blue sky it, what do you think you could accomplish in your lifetime? I have no idea. I, I, I mean, two and a half years ago, I didn't think I'd be sitting here doing a podcast about <laughs> the Everglades. So, so yeah, I, I don't know. But, I mean, just with the amount of support and the increase of support we're continually getting, there's a lot of problems to fix here in the Everglades and there's a lot of, a lot outside. So the, the, the sky's the limit and you know, the more support and the more people we get involved, you know, the better chance we have. Of Man, I just love that. I, I just love it that you can be mired in this, in this problem that, you know, I know a lot of people that are just really down. I mean, it, it, incredibly down and they're not much fun to be around. And I, I, I honestly don't think that they're helping the issue by being so sour about it. Now I get it. You've lost half the seagrass in, in Florida Bay or, or I don't know, is that an accurate number? You've lost a ton of seagrass in Florida Bay. What would you say the percentage of? I, I'm not sure the percentage, but 40, over 40,000 acres, that's a lot of grass. Those numbers are so big to me. I don't even know what it means, but I know I go up in there and you're coming across these flats and there are massive areas of die off and it's sad you can be fishing up there and think, man, it's over. Like, this is not good. You know, there used to be fish here and there aren't fish here anymore. The water used to be clear here. It's not clear anymore. And you can get really down about that. But what I love about talking to you right now is that you are incredibly positive. And I think that's because you see a much bigger picture than a lot of people do. And you see that yeah, it might not be so good right now, but we are moving in a positive direction. I think that's, I think that to me is maybe one of the most important messages out there is that there is hope because I think that a lot of people here, Indian River Lagoons having a problem. You got a problem over here in Sanibel. You got a problem down here. You got, you know, the, the, the grass is dying in, in Flamingo. You got this and this and this, and people just throw their hands up and go, well, I guess it's over, right? And I don't know that that's the right attitude. Yeah, no, it's, uh, I mean, first of all, doing what we do at Captains, you, you, you have to have a positive attitude. If you have a bad attitude, you're not going yeah. to last long on our team. But, you know, I rely on the people that are on the water every day to, you know, to advertise essentially how great what we do have left is. Because mm -hmm. if it's really hard to convince a policymaker, they need to essentially stroke a $800 million check to fix something if there's not anything left to save. Right. So we rely on, on guides and anglers to show the positive, you know, show, show why we're, why we have something worth protecting. I mean, if I continually bring up pictures of brown water to Tallahassee and DC, that, uh, it doesn't really tell the full story. What, what tells the full story is in between all those pictures, there's also pictures of 40 inch snook and yeah. kids holding their first tarpon in the water and permit and bonefish and all that. That's a big selling point. Yeah. So well, so is the so is the financial impact. Absolutely. Obviously, and I'm sure that you keep coming back to the financial impact because, I mean, the numbers are huge. Yes. And and in the Florida Keys here, the hurricane you you take you and that's another reason why a lot of people are, can be kind of down right now is because there's Hurricane Irma. There's a lot of things that are still closed. A lot of people are having trouble with with insurance. A lot of people have had just a really really rough year. 
Plus, combine that with the fact that that you know you're having a lot of seagrass dying off, and that's a recipe for um, for kind of having a pessimistic view on on what's going on around around you and and what the what the future is. But man, I, I really think that 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 keeping that message super positive is is um, is how you send the message to middle America, like we were well, like we were talking about before, like people who may never see their Everglades in their entire life still need to be aware of this and need to uh, understand that, man, if the Everglades, if, if you just throw up your hands and let, let it all just go to hell, it will affect the entire country. Oh, absolutely. But, uh, but I see that you guys are staying super positive. So I'm really looking forward to um, tomorrow. We have had not that great fishing this week, while we've been filming, we had a cold front that came through, late April cold front, and that's never good because all the fish are, as you're quite aware, they get very happy and very, very looking forward to uh, to the springtime and everything's looking good. And then, wow, man, you get yeah. some 20-mile-an-hour winds and the temperature drops about 15 degrees and, and it takes them a couple of days to, to recover from that. So we've been struggling a little bit this week, but we are planning on going... Um, leaving my favorite time of the day. My partner's favorite time of the day is in the afternoon, and we usually get in about this time of the evening. My favorite time is morning, like like you were talking about. I like, I like seeing everything waking up. I like to wake up myself. I like to see the sunrise. I uh, prefer the sunrise over the sunset if I were to have my druthers. So we're going to get up uh, super early and take a ride back into the Everglades. And I'm hoping that you can, you can kind of Show us a, a few things and tell us tell us even more because you know my partner Rich and I we we talk about this a lot and we're like now now what's the problem and why is this happening and why is it too salty over here but not salty enough over here and and I just enjoy learning about the the entire thing um, and and the videos on your website are excellent by the way so tomorrow we're going to go to that Sandy Key area which I don't know how much you've fished that. You're a little further north, quite a bit further north. Yeah. But but have you been in that area much? Yeah, I've, I've fished it a, a little bit growing up. Spent a lot more time about 10 miles, 15 miles northeast of there yeah. up in Florida Bay. But I'm, I'm familiar with the area. Yeah. For sure. Well, there's just tremendous bird life and you can't have a bad day. That The, the area where we're going is probably the predator central we see everything in there from sawfish and giant goliath groupers to every kind of shark that lives in the in the everglades and i mean i just it's it's definitely off limits for swimming for me ever and ever even if the water was clear i wouldn't swim in there and the water's not clear so uh there's no possible way that i'm gonna i'm going swimming in in that channel but hopefully there'll be a few tarpon up there and, and maybe we can put a few in the air so before we end this, why don't you tell everybody how they can get in touch with you if they need you for an urgent issue like you're, like we were talking about in the Indian River or if they want to make a donation or if they want to get involved as a volunteer. How does somebody go about that? Yep. So we've got a pretty good site built, captainsforcleanwater.org. If you go to the website, there's contact forms to get in touch. There's a web store with hats. There's all kinds of, you know, educational materials on there. So pretty much everything you can do from there. Uh, we're also on Instagram and Facebook, Captains for Clean Water. So you can you can stay up to date with us there. We, we put put a lot more content up on, on social media than we do on our blog. You know, when there's an important issue, we, we try to save the blog for that. Yeah. Well, I would say also that, and, and you're, not, you're not making this request. I am. I'm saying... You know, if you're not able to, or 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 in some way, not going to make a financial contribution, man, if you could just follow these guys on Instagram and Facebook and 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 get on their newsletter and be on their mailing list, it's another name, it's another number, and it, and it's another person who is interested in this organization. And I promise you, if you watch their stuff for a month, you will want to get more involved because the, those social accounts are are really good. And you can see the progress that that they're making, and and this progress is important for all of us, not just not just fishing guides and not just fishing clients, but uh, to business owners and and virtually it starts with everyone that lives in South Florida, and it ends up with somebody that lives in in uh, in Washington or Oregon. Every, it has an economic and cultural impact on on everybody that's in our country. So, 
Man, I just want to applaud you for the work that you're doing and honor you for that. I mean, you took time out of your life, dedicated it to this. I know that that I, for one, thank you for it, but I know that that everybody in the fishing community and everyone in the guiding community is really proud of what you guys are doing and fully in support. So um, if you got any other ways that people can help, let us know. Yeah, we, we really appreciate the support. That's That's what keeps us going. Awesome. Awesome. Anything else you want to add? I think that's pretty much it. All right. Well, go to captainsforcleanwater.org and watch for this episode with Daniel Andrews on Saltwater Experience, and we will we'll keep you up to date. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to the show. I hope you got something out of that. Got just a little bit of news. We have started a weekly show that is designed to be up-to-the-minute videos of what's happening this week, mostly in the Florida Keys, but also in other places that we fish as well. We'll be putting that out every week, and the best way to find that is to subscribe to the YouTube channel, YouTube slash Saltwater Experience. Search Saltwater Experience on YouTube. Subscribe to that channel, and you will get updates of when a new video is published. I've also figured out how to put the podcast on YouTube, finally. A lot of people like to put that window behind other things they're working on and listen to the podcast while they are working. So we now have that for you. And there is a playlist called Podcast. There's a playlist called Weekly Show. You can go and see all the new videos that we're putting up there. Started a new email address specifically for this show. And that is podcast at saltwaterexperience.com podcast at saltwaterexperience.com. Those emails come directly to me. I'll see every single one of them. So if you have comments, suggestions, ways we can make the show better, and particularly if you have suggestions of someone you would like to see me sit down with in the hunting world, in the fishing world, in the outdoor sports world, or just a motivation, inspirational character, or someone that can teach us all something. I'm very interested in your suggestions. So that's podcast at saltwaterexperience.com. You can get the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, SoundCloud, and we're also publishing it on the blog. The weekly show will be published on the blog too, but the best way is to go to YouTube, subscribe there, and you'll get it immediately when it's published. So until next week, thanks for listening, and we'll see you soon. Thank you.